This afternoon message is concerning fasting. Fasting. And I'm going to start off by talking about observances, instructions, and promises. The reason we went into fasting is because fasting, we read of the people in the time of Isaiah, he was prophesying in this last 58, in this 58th chapter. They was kind of using it as a cudgel or something that uh, should move God or something to that God has a list of things that he should do. If we do this, he's to do X, a kind of a, what they call it, quid pro quid, whereas he, we can make God obligated to us in certain things. They look at religion as like a vending machine or whatever that they they could put in certain things and should certain things should come out. In the 58th chapter, in the third verse says, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest it not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fists of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thine bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thine house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine help shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re reward. In other words, then will the Lord cover that which is behind you. The re reward would be the rear coming uprings, because you, we noticed that there wasn't giving given a protection in the armor of God for your back. All of it was weapons stuff like the breastplate of righteousness the shield of faith the sword of the spirit the head the helmet of salvation all these other things but nothing for the back but god protects your back god protects you from things that comes up from the rear of you and that these people some of them think it was maybe the fasting that they were doing in babylon and that they was expecting God to come in and do some of the things that the false prophets were saying God was obligated to do or that God was going to do or whatever. We have that mentality with tithing and with everything we do associated with God because it's a wrong way of thinking. It's a way that we look at God and not understanding God's word. I have no relationship with God, no, no, no relationship with Jesus Christ not being born again. Under the Old Testament, there was only one day that God had commanded fasting on, and that was the Day of Atonement. 
Leviticus 23, 26 to 32. And the day of atonement is command is a commandment, commanded feast of the Lord that God emphasizes this day solemnly, so, solemnity by threatening death to those who fail to afflict their souls or do any work on this day. Nothing is more important than being at one with God. That day of atonement, the day that we afflict our soul, the day that we did fast, but it was a day of prayer and solemnity to become one with God. That's that's the biggest thing about going into this, the idea of meditating on God, getting closer to God. The expression used in the law is afflicting of the soul. And you see where they use that terminology in the, in when they was talking about they had afflicted their soul. And God came back and said, is it such a day that he had chosen? Is it a day for a man to afflict it? So, you know, sometimes we have to be careful of the day or the time that we choose to fast or whatever. I don't think a lot of people had chosen to fast. The fast wasn't on the Sabbath day. You wouldn't choose to fast on a day in which, you know, say Thanksgiving or Christmas, a day in which there's going to be a lot of merriment or pleasure because then you would miss out on the primary principle of why the fast was going on. I think you should select the day in which you fast very carefully. That expression used in the law of afflicting the soul, Leviticus 16, 29 through 31, Leviticus 23, 27, Numbers 30 and 13, it is implying the sacrifice of the personal will which gives to fasting all of its value, that God's will be done and that we become one with God and that we die to self and it's not about us. It's not about our will. Now, I was telling you about observances, observances of this fast, whether it's uh, national or personal, and we see, well, there were national fasts and personal fasts throughout the Old Testament, but only that one day of atonement where God put it upon as a command, but that's not carried over into the New Testament. You remember I was telling you about the handwriting of ordinances that was nailed to the cross that Jesus Christ came in, in a removal of these handwriting of ordinances. Yes. Zechariah, the seventh chapter, four through the sixth verse, uh, talks about this national fast and when the people had fasted in the different months that they fasted during the time of Zechariah. You can read that in Zechariah 7, chapter, the 4th through the 6th verse. So this actually confirms that God permits national observances, but it's not commanded. It's not a command, but it's something that's permitted. That's the difference from, from something that God commands or maybe ordained or whatever. Extraordinary fasts were appointed uh, by the theocratic leaders. Some of the leaders could call for it. We see that sometimes the nations say a day of national prayer or the day of national this or whatever. You can read that throughout the Old Testament. In Judges 20, 26, 1 Samuel 7 and 6, 2 Chronicles 20 and 3. Joel 1 and 14 and 2 and 12, Jeremiah 36 and 9, 
Ezra 8 and 21, Nehemiah 1 and 4. You remember when Jonah came and preached at Nineveh about yet 40 days and God was going to destroy the city, that he was going to destroy Nineveh. And the king and the people knew of their wickedness, knew of the evilness that was going on. Just as we, a lot of us see the evilness and the wickedness that's going on in the nation and in the world, in our city or wherever it may be. Maybe it's in our homes or whatever. That we can see these things and we think it's a time to fast. We see that God makes it encumbered upon us to go into a voluntary fast. Now, God's complaint is not with the observance of the fast per se, but with the attitude in which the Jews observe them or the attitudes in which people go after fasting today, what they have made of the fast. The Jews' attitude abused something that God permitted but had not commanded And they were saying, well, look, God, we're fasting and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not recognizing that we're fasting or whatever, that we're doing all of these things. They were doing it to be seen just as the Pharisees would pray out in the open and they would do certain things. And they they were getting things crossed up here. Their, Their theology wasn't a very good theology. God expresses his disapproval of the ethical and spiritual attitudes that underlay that outward observance. When he says, why for had you fasted? He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. In other words, people are eating and partying and everything, and you're in the midst of that. You see, you may not celebrate this holiday, but you're in the midst of this celebration, and you're in this celebratory fashion instead of being able to consecrate yourself. In other words, get away from this. This is what sanctifies you. It sets you apart from these. And we don't want to make it any more difficult than it would be. So where people say, oh, well, you know, he fasted. He don't do that. Now we're doing it to draw attention to ourselves. It's no longer primarily about God, but it's about us, about our strength or our righteousness. He says, behold, You fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fists of wickedness. And he's saying what you should not do. And this would have a New Testament thing as to because Jesus also acknowledged the fast. Listen, he says, he says, you shall not fast as you do this day to make your voices to be heard on high. It will come a time when you will fast. And and you remember the, the disciples, the people say, why don't your disciples fast as John's disciples fast? And you say, it will come a time when they will fast, but they can't fast when the bridegroom is not with them, when the bridegroom is with them, but they will fast. In other words, the fast that we observe today and everything, we have to understand the particulars of it, of what's going on. And he questions their sincerity and their motivations during their fast which should have been times of prayer and repentance. The prayer should have been, it should have been always when you fasting, prayer has to be one of the components of fasting. Your meditation upon God and the word of God. Also, like I said, sometimes it's because of, of repentance, a turning inwardly, a seeing the beam that's in our own eyes before we 
try to clear the specks out of our brother's eyes. Before we can pray for someone else, we must afflict our soul, see our shortcomings and our weaknesses and the way we in which we are operating at. Uh, they should have used the time to recall the sins that had led them into the slavery that made the calling for fast so necessary. As why were you in the predicament of the circumstance of the situation you was? Why were you in Babylon? What brought about you being in Babylon, that captivity? It was because of your sin. It was because of something you had done. I remember Daniel, when he had read in the books of Jeremiah and he was praying and he seen that the time was coming for their release and he was praying about this. He says, we have sinned. In other words, acknowledging their sins and their transgressions against God and that God would step in or whatever. So their motivations and everything, their religion was a compilation of vanity. In other words, everything that they were doing were vain. It was self-centered. It was directed at their pleasure, their, their, their glorification. They should have been searching for any remnant of those sins still residing in them and repenting of them. And I've consistently said that that's why a lot of people fast. That's why a lot of people get growing the faith and the understanding of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because the more we walk in the light and obedience to him and do the things of, of that the Spirit shows us, the more we can see our vile and wickedness and that the Spirit purges us and sanctifies us as we're doers of God's word and it's a continual being washed by the word of God, a continual cleansing, and so that we would be without a spot or a wrinkle. Mm -hmm. Our perspective of seeing things from God's point of view of being able to spot, where is it that we're not walking right? Where is it that we're not doing anything? First, we have to do as Isaiah was, that God has to put that lump of coal. He has to purge away our sins. He that serveth the Lord must have clean hands. We have to have our clean hands cleansed from these things. So in Isaiah 58 and 5, God asks, Is it a fast that I have chosen? God is scolding the Jews in the, way, in the same way of what they did. Now, different forms and strictnesses of the fast. I told you about the fast that the king declared in Nineveh where that they put on sackcloth and ashes and that the, even the animals wasn't fed and what was happening. Uh, we'll talk about it Wednesday. I don't think I put it in this, this study here about where he says, you need to rend your heart, rend, your, rend the inward part instead of the sackcloth and ashes. And I told you about the ritual of renting your garments Whereas we need to tear open that old heart. We need to just help God to dissemble it, get rid of that heart. The fast was mostly a day or so. It wasn't a very long fast. And it usually is a divine fast. God has to step in. If we're doing a 30 or 40 day fast as Moses or Jesus did due as to how the body is, the body starts to feed off itself off for a certain time if we're doing a complete fast. 
to do without food and water for uh, that longer time. I'm trying to think of Dick Gregory, I think was his name, that the doctors and things had to accompany him and bring him back from a fast that he was on. He was doing a fast and that your body starts eating at the vital arguments. The, the store of fat is gone, but now it starts eating at the vital organs or whatever. So fast is, a fast can be very dangerous and it takes a medical doctor something to help you bring you back from the brink of a fast. And if anybody have done long-term fasting, you know that it's very dangerous to try to eat a whole lot right after you've fasted a long time. You need to start eating salads or eating something light or whatever. But we take things and we are callous with the things of God. And the fasts have has changed. And um, this this is due to dumb dogs that won't bark. In other words, preachers and teachers lacking understanding and trying to capitalize on everything spiritual, everything of God because of the way and the times in which we're living in, the perilous times, and the people's God is their balance. In connection with the fast, it will be pra- be a practical, practical, I'm getting tired of here, let me, let me get a little sip of water here, but it will be a practical confession of misery and an act of deepest humiliation before the Lord. See, because we've seen something, God's word, through studying and meditating in God's word, and the Holy Ghost, remember I tell you, we have to have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Yes. It's the mirror of God's word, and it brings all truth before us. Yes. It convicts us of sin. So in our deep humility, as Saul, as Saul was, when Paul became, Saul became Paul, he saw it of what he did. It starts showing him that he was of the chiefest of sinners. Because it started to burn off everything in him that wasn't like God. To be in God's image and likeness, his spirit shows us our wickedness, our vileness, that old heart, that old man that has to be put to death. So in confession and misery of who we once were or what we are, and in the deepest act of humiliation, you know, some some things we was or some acts of things we did, we're ashamed that we did those things. We can't believe we were like that. And in humble and humility, we come before God and ask him to, to, to cleanse us and to cleanse us of sorrow and strengthen us and give us a new spirit. As David says, create a right spirit, renew a right spirit within me. Yes. The bones that you have broken, repair those. They were did some of the fast were did in hard and trying circumstances. David had done this and had killed Uriah and he was fasting and God had told him that he was going to put away his sin, but he was going to kill the baby as a result of what David had done. Yes. Yes. But notice that after all of this, that David broke the fast and he went on and ate after he says that the baby would live. I mean, the baby would die and that it was too late. David says, I must go to him. He won't go to me. So it was while the baby was alive, he said that was a chance of perhaps God would change. God would repent of it. But after the baby's death or whatever, 
the people were afraid to tell David, but David rose up and eat or whatever, and they asked David, what was wrong? He said, well, he must go to me. I can't come to him. I mean, I must come to him. He can't come back to me. In other words, he wasn't going to be resurrected or anything. Right. So the fast, David thought why there was still chance. And we notice it in the Bible a lot of times when it says perhaps God would do this. Perhaps God may do it because it's not always that God will do it. And that's where the word of faith and some of the faith religions say, you do this, God is going to do this. You can't make that promise. God doesn't make that promise. God's promises is according to his will, if it's God's will. Because sometimes health, financial poverty, or whatever situation is all a part of God's plan, and he gives you the strength, he gives you the spiritual strength to, to endure these things. Yes. So sometimes we do lose children, spouses, and family members, and situations go bad, but God strengthened us that these things don't overtake us, that they don't overwhelm us. And as a lot of people, they stop going to church. They stop following God because God is an evil God. He took my child. He did these. He did these things. You're looking at it from a personal vantage point of why it affected you or whatever. You're not looking at it that God has a will to be done. Yes. You're looking at it that you didn't get what you want. That's it. So people fast at time during times of misfortune, uh, bereavement. First uh, Samuel twenty thirty four thirty one thirteen. Second Samuel one and twelve. They fasted during the prospect of a threatened judgment of God, and uh, occasions of falling into grievous sins, and to avoid heavy calamities. I, I'm not going to have the time to break down all of these scripture references, but. It'll, it'll be in your notes. And like I said, I pray, I shall pray and fast for a time that we have a member, some church member that's able to be able to keep up a website and help post the notes and things up on a website or whatever to, whereas as they listen at, the, at it on sermon audio, that they'll have access to a lot of the notes that we have. I have tons of notes that I would love to upload and to add into that. So there are plenty of things that we can pray and fast about that would help others and help the people of God in this last day or whatever. And that would broaden our spiritual life. Many different religions and sects have done it throughout history. It's, it's not just Christianity that did this, Buddhism, all of the known religions throughout times did it. It started way back before man was gatherers and everything. And I don't want to take you through a secular history of it or whatever, but sometime it was forced fasting because food wasn't as plentiful as it was. And sometimes people would go for long periods of time without food or whatever. And that's why we get a problem with it today because Sometimes we don't have food or we don't have the things we need. So we say, I just, I'm going to fast then. Well, that's not actually a fast that the Lord has declared a fast of the Lord. It's because you don't have food to eat or whatever. You yeah. fasting because there's nothing there. You're not fasting because you're making a sacrifice, not doing it. It is available for you to do, but you go resist 
in order to do this, to pray to God and spend time with God and to be spiritually strengthened and become more at one with God, uh, an accomplishment for someone else or for the church or for the body of Christ. Secularly, there are so many books out there on fasting. People nowadays, they fast because of different diets or require fasting. It requires abstaining. Some people fast because of their health, a different health peculiarities, or because of wanting to lose weight, a weight loss, or whatever. So they fast or whatever. It's not a spiritual thing, but it's all physical. It's they need to get out on a certain number of pounds to wear a certain dress or a certain pair of jeans or to look a certain way to improve their figure or whatever. So this has nothing to do with spirituality. The secular world, there's many and countless books on fasting. They'll find out about different fasting diets or whatever to purge the body because there are a lot of toxins and things within the body or whatever and body cleanses or whatever that people fast away from solid food or fast away from different things. So that's why I say a fast has came about with a whole lot of different variations. It's not just a fast away from food. Some people fast on not eating solid foods, but they do take partake of liquids or whatever. But see, that goes along the lines of creating or making this in your way or whatever because with smoothie and certain drinks and when they coming up with the different machines and everything where you could uh, liquefy spinach and different herbs and, you know, different things in these smoothies and Smoothie King is based on that, that all of the minerals and things is in this drinkable shake or something that you have. Yeah. So you don't have to partake of these solid foods or whatever. And it's a liquid fast or whatever. Mm-hmm. But see, like I say, there's so many secular people that's cashing in on this. This is not a fast that the Lord has declared. Mm-hmm. Looking at the word of God, we see where it's in, in, in just the distance of two scriptures where Jesus rebukes about fasting. But then, within that same context, he promises of what he will do in fasting. And I told you, fasting is obligatory. In other words, it's something we we voluntarily do. It's not commanded of God. He sternly rebukes the Pharisees for their hypocritical pretenses in fasting in which they have observed. Just like I told you here in the book of Isaiah where they were fasting in a hypocritical way. And as I said, the, the nation is hypocritical in their religious beliefs, a lot of things that they do. They war and they kill and it's a lot of things. I was looking at a thing on the news the other day where Bethlehem said they was going to forego a lot of countless millions of dollars and not celebrate Christmas. The the tourism and thing was going to suffer because they couldn't have Christmas festivities and here Israel is bombing the Palestinians, killing twenty to 30,000 people. And all of these millions of people that's dis, dislarged from their homes and this whole Palestinian state that's towing up all of the bombings you see. And, you know, 
our news, our nation is kind of covering that. You don't see the news coverage on it that would be that. We desensitize as, in, as Israel is our people. We're in Israel's corner, so we're not to show you all of the atrocities and what's going about in the real numbers of murders and everything. But a lot of the priests and clergymen in Bethlehem said, well, look, it wouldn't be right for us to be celebrating Christmas and all of this manger scene and all of this. And right here where we are, the murdering and the devastation is going. So they cancel festivities for at that time. But here in Matthew six, sixteen through 18, listen at Jesus. He says, and whenever you are fasting, so he's saying that they would be fasting, even though earlier he had said that his disciples couldn't fast while the bridegroom was there, but it'll come a time when they will fast. So here in Matthew six sixteen, when he says, and whenever you are fasting, so that suggests that they will be fasting. He tells them what not to do. He says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, Bloom looked like the hypocrites, for they put on a sad, dismal face like actors discoloring their faces with ashes or dirt. Remember I told you with sackcloth and ashes, and so that their fasting may be seen by men. In other words, the Pharisees wanted to appear so religious and that people would see them fasting. He says, don't you do it that way. That's a hypocritical way. He says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you that they already have their reward in full. He says, but when you fast, here's the promise. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head as you normally would to groom your hair. In other words, and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by people. Dress up, clean yourself up. No one knows the difference. The left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. Yes, amen. Not going around, hey, we fasting. Look, we fasting. We doing this. Don't sound the trumpet or whatever. He says, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So your father who's in secret because you're, you're, you're fasting toward him. He's unseen. That's faith. That's the unseen God that we're fasting toward. So as he see you in secret, he sees he will reward you. He promises those things. I see what you're doing. So when we're helping others, when we're doing for the need as he proclaimed that we should be doing, he says, is it such a fast that I have chosen? Is not this the fast that he would want you to do? to loose the bands of the wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. So here you're working towards something salvageable. I, I heard a lot of the people in these mass shootings and the, over the last year, the, the mass shootings that we read about in the United States, and the Republican come, come, some of the Republican leaders come on and say, well, our prayers and thoughts are with you. There are a lot of people come on there and say, you keep your prayers and thoughts to yourself. And you know why I understand that? It's just like what James says, that instead of you helping somebody, you says, uh, God bless you and you be of a good comfort, but you don't do anything. Well, these same senators and representatives 
that has the ability to sit down and vote as Australia, some of the other places that it could enact tougher gun laws. Could the, the disarming of America, because the Bible says that they'll beat their weapons into plowshares. If we wouldn't have all of these weapons and all of this armory, they would just confiscate the guns. Take away that right to bear arms. A lot of the weaponry we have today, you don't need it for hunting or whatever. There's an overkill in hunting. All of these automatic weaponries that we're using to kill mass numbers of people. There is something you can do, but I think that's just hypocritical words that our prayers and thoughts are with you. No, you couldn't go in there and, and actually do something to make this substantial. You can actually help to to quit to, to, to harness this to stop it. Yes. yes. He says, and abstain from appointing any fast as part of his own religion. Jesus abstained from appointing this, and you know, that's why I said it's obligatory. To, in other words, that's why I say about the notes and everything, and you've met that in high school or whatever, where the teacher give extra credit sections or bonus work because there's always the students that's going to go above and beyond. When it says study to show yourselves approved, there are people out there studying the word of God and consistently as Daniel, getting the word of God, the Bible, reading and studying the word of God. Well, God does reward us according to our deeds. You could be awarded rewarded in that great white throne judgment and in this life to come because it strengthens you because he tells us to meditate and study his word. So there's going to be much more progress. There's going to be much more pure spiritual strength to those that are reading and studying their Bible and praying and meditating to God than somebody that's sitting there watching TV 10 or 12 hours a day. Someone that's playing computer games or doing something else that are going about their own things thinking, well, we got God covered. And the only thing, time they hear of God is when they hear it preaching or teaching if they go to church or whatever. If they hear it at prayer service, I mean Bible study, or go to, they may not go to Bible study if they hear it at chapel service or something. Yes. So they're not spending time with God. I'm sure we see that Peter spent more time with God than the rest of the apostles did. We see that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee. In other words, he had put that time in just like somebody with a master's or a doctor's degree. They have put a lot of time in studying in, in book knowledge. As Paul, Peter became an apostle when they were going about, he commissioned or delegated his some of his work to have the deacons and things to do that work so he could give himself to the study and prayer in the word of God. Yes. He didn't want to be caught in that position as he was before when he says this kind goeth out only but by prayer and fasting. So that there must be those that do that to apply themselves. Matthew 9, 14 through 20 says, then the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus asking, why do we and the Pharisees often fast, which was just a religious exercise to them, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus replied unto them, he says, uh, he says, but 
Can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But, and he goes into a few analogies here. But no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear result. Nor is wine put into old wineskins that have lost their elasticity. Otherwise, the wineskins burst and the fermenting wine spills wine and the wineskins are ruined. But, no, but the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. If I was to go further to break down these analogies or whatever, I think just like he's using the analogy of the wineskins and the garment about the old and the new, I think the way that they were looking at fasting about renting your garments and putting sackcloth and ashes on it, it's a new way of fasting. In other words, you're going to rend your heart. In other words, a new heart. You tear away from that old heart. He gives you a heart of flesh to where you actually do for people. You actually help the poor. Instead of talking about the poor and oppressed, you're there lending a hand to the poor and oppressed. Like I say, we have a lot of people in Washington. We have a lot of people in church talking about the poor and talking about the other people. But instead of lending a hand, changing the situations, I don't know what their hobby horse could be now. They united together with uh, this Republican Party to appoint conservative judges or whatever that they said they could turn back Roe versus Wade or whatever. That was one of their hobby horses. I think they're using same-sex marriage and all of that now as a hobby horse. But since they don't, they don't have that hobby horse of abortion or because that seemed kind of one-sided because I don't think it was the abortion laws or the things that withstood. I think is 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 that what God had said that this is an adulterous generation. I think the problem was that your wives and daughters and all of these people, the things that they are doing to get pregnant. I think fornication was part of the problem in adultery because the, the sexual act that brings about the kids into the world, that's the nucleus of the problem. Yes. If you was to change the, you know, if the people would change their moral act outlook, so it's not a problem that legislature changed. I think it's a preaching and a teaching lack of character, moral character. I think if your sons and daughters wasn't whores and whoremongers and that was playing the harlot, I think you wouldn't have an abortion issue. I think if they were more spiritually stronger or whatever. Yes. So we're looking at always voicing a secular issue out there, but I think if the church would stay focused on the church and the church would do what it's supposed to be doing instead of being hypocritical. I think Babylon takes care of itself because God has Babylon designed to be Babylon. Yes. Yes. They wasn't designed to conform to God's image and his likeness. We can't change wolves into sheep. So the church's job is for the perfecting of the saints and I think fasting should reflect that 
and we should turn in upon ourselves, cleaning the beams out of our own eyes. Matthew 8, 11, chapter 18 through the 19th verse says, uh, For John came neither eating nor drinking with others, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came, I mean, I read it. He says, for John came neither eating nor drinking with others, and they say he has a demon. That he dwelt out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey and all of the wild honey and locusts, and that he wasn't eating or drinking. He was ascetic, in other words. And they say he was crazy. He was a wild man. He was some kind of ascetic loner, but they did follow his preaching. But he says, now the son of man come eating and drinking with others. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber. He's a drunk and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You yet wisdom is justified and vindicated by her deeds. It's the deeds. It's the deeds that wisdom justifies and vindicates by the deeds. It's in the lives of those who respond to Christ. It's in the life response. So it's easy to talk a good game and preach and teach and say all these things, but your hearts are far from the Lord. Yes. Are you right with God? Are you actually right with God? Prayer and fasting are mentioned in Matthew 17th chapter, the 21st verse, Mark the 9th chapter and the 29th verse as a means for promoting faith and good works. You remember I say, good works has to be tied to this. Yes. Yes. He says, but this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You remember I say, and prayer has to be attached to fasting. Prayer, meditating on the word of God and looking toward God. That's why I say, when you fast, pick a day that you're not busy doing a whole lot of other things to where you can point in toward God. As Anna that stayed in the temple, 84 years old, her life was giving to what? Prayer and fasting. Mark 9, 28 through 29 says, When he had gone indoors, his disciples began asking him privately, Why were we unable to drive out the demon? And he replied to them, This kind of unclean spirit cannot come out by anything but by prayer and fasting. This kind, in other words, this was a specialty. It it didn't say, and that's why I say we have different levels of Christians and different things within the Christian ring. But that's why we, those that have a hunger and a thirst from God's word stand apart from others though. That's why he says all of us shouldn't desire to be teachers. We, We have a difference because it's, a doer of God's word, not just a believer, but an actual doer. And there will be sacrifices coming about as a result of these things. Uh, The apostolic church mentions of fasting in Acts 13 and 3, uh, 14, 23, 2 Corinthians 6 and 5. And this last passage, Apostle Paul probably refers to volunteer fasting as in chapter uh, Acts 27, when he makes a distinction between fasting and hunger and thirst. He was fasting sometime, 
but he was hungering and thirsting at some time because of his work. Not necessarily because he was fasting, but he was hungering and thirsting because he didn't have, as a result of, of doing for the Lord or whatever, he was without. He had learned contentment and to do without. So he separates fasting from hungering and thirsting because, like I said, some ways you live, some things you're doing, God doesn't bless you with abundance. He may not bless you with the transportation you're looking for. The blessing is of being able to endure the suffering. Yes. The blessing is being able to endure without the worldly means. Fasting was frequently joined with prayer that the of the mind unen, that would have the mind unencumbered, unencumbered with earthly matters. It might devote itself with less distraction to the contemplation of divine things. In other words, it wasn't entrapped with the cares of this world and of this life. Yeah. So don't don't pick a day or a time if you go fast where it's still you gonna have a day that you got to keep the grandkids, you got to go do this, you got to do a whole lot of things. You need to pick a day in which you can dedicate some time or the majority of the time with the Lord praying and meditating on those things. Fasting and humility, and this could be the last section I'll be able to cover this afternoon. First Peter five five through six says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisted the proud and give it grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under the might of hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. I've also put that in there in the amplified in the living verse. But the most important thing that we can take away from these verses is the understanding and the knowledge, the belief and the conviction that humility is a choice. You choose to be humble. This is a a choice that you ask God and you look to God because he says, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves. So Peter says, humble yourselves. In other words, there are situations and I don't know how many of my children going through or my relatives are going through or who's going through what, but it's a humbling situation. God is humbling them. He's putting them in a position because they hadn't humbled themselves. Sometimes the humbling gets more drastic and drastic. Sometimes it takes people out of the, out of life. You notice the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar. It took seven years for him eating grass like an animal. His nails grew. He was outside in the water and the meal doing everything to humble him because his pride had lifted him up. You have to be able to humble yourself. We can choose to go the right way, and when we do, we have humble ourselves. These are choices and that we start being able to see. And you remember I tell you to see things from God's perspective that you don't have to always be on top. You don't have to carry grudges. You, know, you start choosing things. These are the spirit being led by the spirit, being obedient to the spirit of God. It's leading and guiding you into all truth, but it's necessarily destroying the old man. It's killing the old man. It's not about self. It's not about self-pleasure. You're taking self off of the throne. You're putting God on the throne where he should be. Humility is not a feeling, but a state of mind wherein a person sets his course to submit to God, regardless of how I feel 
this is what God says. It's not about my feelings. It's not about, and this is a hard thing to do because we're a generation that goes by feeling. Everything is about feeling. We, we've become so humanistic, so far away from God. We've been, been desensitized away from the spirituality of Jesus Christ saying, loving one another, of loving our neighbor. Now, along these lines, fasting makes us think about where our life-sustaining provisions come from. When we're doing without, it starts to make us think, and as we meditate upon God, that they are not inherent, but have come from, to us from the outside. The food we eat, the water we breathe, the air we... It's, it's, we cannot sustain ourselves we should see how dependent upon God we are and that Jesus says, without me, I can do nothing. That you can do, we can't do anything. Spiritual provision is from exactly the same source. He has eternal life. He is eternal life. The necessities that sustain its spiritual life is in Christ and produces the kind of strength that we want to have. It's in him. He's our strength. That's who we can do all things by. The sense of well-being that we desire is in Christ. The, the power to grow stronger as we age, all along with a clear conscience, all of these vital nutrients come from God. The necessities of life. He's our necessary food. Bread alone, we can't live by that, but God sustains us. So the food that we do get, he owns a cow on a thousand years. Yes. So we don't, David says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Mm -hmm. See, if we seek after these things, seek first the kingdom of God, not these things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then these things will be added unto you. So that's our first thing. It's to seek after the Lord. Grab hold to the Lord. We see that they are directly tied to our submission to God because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we are waiting for a feeling, we will be waiting a mighty long time. It's not about a feeling, and that's why he says he's going to give us a new heart, a heart that's made of flesh. This is a stone heart in us. He says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know the heart? And sometimes we are driven to certain points. And if he give you and waken you to consciousness, you could become like the prodigal son that was in the, in the manger and he was about to eat the pods that the hogs were eating. And he came to himself. He realized, why am I doing this? And my father has servants and have all of these things. So he brought him to a humbling. He didn't humble himself. God humbled him. He had lost all of his inheritance. Yes. He had lost everything. He had came to poverty. Do God has to bring you to poverty? Does that circumstance has to bring you to yourself? So you see what happens when God has to humble you. Now, Contrary-wise, we see that the other son that everything was left to, he had the double inheritance. The father even said, everything that I own is yours. 
but this your son that was your brother that was lost, shouldn't you rejoice that he's found? You see, he didn't have the compassion. He he needed a new heart also. Yes. He needed that he now is his brother's keeper. <laughs> he needed a heart to see that all that his father gave, now you can take care of your brother. If, you know, like I said, those feelings and things may not come, but if we follow God's word, these things will come. Uh, we may not be speaking of emotions, but we're speaking about God's word and, and how God's word changes us and deals with us. Uh, let me see, can I get one or two more things in here if I can get this page separated? Uh, nevertheless, our part in selling the disagreement with God is to be is to be humble before Him. Don't question God, as Mary said. Whatever He say, do do it. Whatever He say, the way up with God is down. The way up with God is down. If we would humble ourselves, the separation will not be bridged until we do what Adam and Eve did not do. And that is humbly submit to God. And as I said, we submit ourselves to one another. And that's the problem. The younger men are not submitting to the older men. The older women the older women are not leading and teaching the younger women. We have a generation of discourse, of disorganization here. The, the wives are not submitting themselves to the husbands. The husbands are not submitting themselves to the wives. The problem is a lack of submission to God's authority, to God's law. But God brings us to the point where we have to, we, we do not think unless God brings us to that point of brokenness where we feel helpless. I was telling my son the other day, God wants you to, at that point where you are, where you see you can't help yourself, the only way you can get out of this jam is God. Amen. The only way you have to have a broken and contrite heart, heart that's who he deals with. And when you feel weak, when you're backed into a corner, and will, will we listen with intensity to that's required? Yes, only when we backed into a corner and there's no other way out. The situation is only God can do it. That's what I say. A lot of times you're in jail, you're in a hospital or whatever, and you pray to God, and we have to fulfill that vow. That you saw it was necessary and God steps in. So you would grow in the Lord if you would honor what you prayed to God and ask God for that he delivered you. Those of us that don't believe in God, and I told you a lot of religions and a lot of other things, there's no hope. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus Christ. So repentance, submission, all of that's required to become one with God, and that's why the fast, because when we physically become weak, when we start seeing who's the supplier actually of everything, our spiritual man is quickened. Yes. And see, that's why I say physically it works because it's the it's not the physical man that's how can I say it about the emotion? In other words, the mind is bent toward God solving the problem. Physically, not eating and drinking 
has you where you are, but you're looking for an answer from the problem and you're looking to the source of that problem. You're not looking to yourself. You're not looking to others that there is no way. You're looking at the source. You're praying to the source. You're meditating to the source. And that's when he gives you words of comfort. That's when he gives you strength. That's when he comes to you in a dream. He brings you the way out. So often God has to resort to these stern measures before we will allow a change of mind. He has to break us. He has to come to this point to where we have to. That's why I say it can't be to lose weight. In other words, if I have strength just to lose weight to get a, to get my figuring thing right, what is it that I'm grasping onto except self-will, except self? I, don't, I, don't, I hope I can get this through. I'm not doing a very good job the way I see you looking at me here. But he would rather us submit willingly and say Christ is the answer, that God has this, I can't have this, and I need to look to God. Yes. Everything. With prayer and supplications, I need to make my request known to God. Thus in his wisdom, he has ordained fasting as a part of atonement because it induces a weakness we can physically feel, not just intellectually agree with. Fasting produces a weakness that we can physically feel and we can not actually intellectually agree with this, but in this weakness, it's God that's going to bring me back both physically and spiritually. That's where the strength is. That's where the answer is. Fasting is a self-imposed trial that should help us both know and feel what we are in comparison to God. That I'm just poor, weak, frail human with as a worm of Jacob. That I've done these things to get myself in a bind. I've physically brought about my own calamity. We're in slavery, we're in bondage or whatever. But to break the bondage, to break poverty... To break all of these things, it may be tiding. All of the situations that that came up on Job wasn't true to Job because it was God that was taking Job through this. The Old Testament was for our admonition. God was showing us that Job was looking to God through all of these things, even though he hadn't put himself in that situation God put him there and did all this to him that he would acknowledge that now I see. He thought he knew God, but now he see. No matter what he does, you can't call God on the carpet. You can't do all of these things. So that's why God re replenished him double for everything because Job hadn't did anything to bring those things about or whatever but it was God coming into his life so that he could spiritually see God better. And the 42nd, 40th chapter, he says, now I see. So God brings harshness. God brings suffering. God brought death in his life so that he could see God more clearly, that he could understand God better. He was on a trash heap, skeets, scraping himself. His health and everything was gone. But he saw God better. Heavenly Father, 